1: Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast, brought to you by Strava Craft Coffee. Strava CBD coffee is infused with CBD and CBG, can be delivered to your doorstep every two, four, six, or eight weeks, whatever you need, and you're not going to get those coffee jitters if you want multiple cups throughout your day. Now you get 25% off your first purchase with code DNVR25 at StravaCraftCoffee.com. I'm your host, Patrick Lyons, and joining me today is the original Colorado kid, the native of denver who pitched for the colorado rockies back in 1993 we'll break down the whole career and all that good stuff he's uh on on 1310 kfka he's got some great articles we'll we'll touch on that today he's also co-host with our buddy manny randawa of the park adjusted rockies podcast it's mark knutson what's going on mark
0: a little of everything right it's wintertime in colorado can't get ready for baseball fast enough get rid of this snow
1: yeah it's we should be seeing pitchers and catchers reporting soon, and usually that really makes you feel like springtime. Yeah. But we may have to wait until March first when the minor leaguers yeah. report. Yep,
0: yeah, that's uh, that's likely to happen. And I, I still maintain that they won't miss any regular season baseball games. They'll they'll get this settled. They'll have to. There's too much at stake. And um, eh, three to four weeks of spring training, something like that. So uh, yeah, it it's ugly. But again, you know, if they don't miss any baseball games, was it really a lockout? We'll find out. Really, a work stoppage, I should say. They don't miss any games, so hopefully, that's, they get this out, they get this fixed.
1: That's a good point. Did you feel a little bit better? I, really, the question about Rob Manfred's press conference on Thursday is: is he doing a bad job or an awful job? I think maybe that could be the question to put out there for you.
0: <laughs> Rob Manfred self-described as a transactional attorney. Um, people skills are not his best thing. Public, that's not—he's not good in front of a camera. He's not. Um, I argued with people after Bud Selig retired. Bud Selig was my, signed my checks for a long time. And I argued at the time he was the best commissioner baseball to ever had. Oh, steroids. And he did, you know, the game grew exponentially under Bud Selig. And Bud was a fan first and a businessman second. And he really, really fought hard to do what he thought was in the best interest of baseball. And on the other side, on our union, the players, we had attorneys. We were all lawyered up. And we won most of the battles because we were all lawyered up. The owners saw that. So the next commissioner became the opposite of Bud Sealy. He became a lawyer, all lawyered up players on the other hand, went back to a former player. So now you've got Tony Clark and the players association, trying to defend the best interest of the game, trying to get rid of tanking, trying to get rid of service time manipulation, trying to make sure that every team in baseball is trying to win games. And you've got the, as Jeff Goldblum said in Jurassic Park, the blood sucking attorneys on the other side, trying to squeeze every dime they can out of this. And, um, you know, they don't really don't care about competitive balance. They really don't care about uh, everybody winning. These teams are making a profit before they ever put one single fanny in a seat. And for Dick Monfort to come out, and, you know, Dick, I consider Dick Monford a friend. I, I think he, as a businessman, he's done a, a tremendous job here. As Manny pointed out a couple of times, the only thing the Rockies don't do well is win on the field. They do everything else perfectly. They're a That's great true. franchise in every other way. But he put his foot in his mouth when he said that, that you know, not every, you know, we're all not, not all making money. Some teams are losing. That's just blatantly not true. And what Ma- Rob Manfred said yesterday is blatantly not true. And nobody's buying it. It is not.
1: Yeah. You can make more money investing in the stock That's market. it's nonsense. Than owning these clubs. Maury Brown actually, uh, I believe he writes for Forbes. He <clears> he had an article that, that came out late in the day on, on Thursday, kind of breaking down the most recent yeah. sales and, if you had invested that money in the stock market, what would have happened? Yeah. And it's, it's not really close. And so I don't know if, you, if you're fudging the numbers or putting your thumb on the scale. And no one really believes that either too. Yeah. I think that was one of the most obvious things. Even if you're not a hardcore baseball fan, you can just listen to the commissioner talking about owners of professional sports teams who are billionaires themselves. Mm-hmm. And that property is, is a billion dollar property right. saying, hey, Average Joe, you can make more money doing that than on team. Crying poor
0: is the absolute wrong way to go about a negotiation in this situation. They're not going to win any kind of public support by crying poor. And, that's, and the players aren't crying poor. What the players are trying to do, and it's a byproduct of what happened back in the 80s when owners were, were found guilty of collusion and they were artificially trying to suppress salaries, they got together and did that and they lost three court cases and a lot of players got paid a lot of money in retrospect. Um, This time the owners have data. They have all the analytics. They have all this data on their side that can prove to anybody who wants to look that player's performance dips at age 30. I mean, you don't have to look any further than Albert Pujols to see that he got this mega contract, never performed at that level after age 30. That's come in the era where performance enhancing substances have been taken out of baseball or almost all out of baseball players. Performances are dipping after age 30. That's typical and normal. So, the owners are like, "Well, we're not going to pay those salaries anymore, and they shouldn't have to. On the flip side, the players say, "Okay, well, if that's the case, Then pay them earlier. Pay them when they're in their prime years and their earlier years. And the owners don't want to do that either. So that's where the rub is right now, that and the the whole bit of allowing guys to allowing teams to just shut it down and not try for a couple of years, basically tank to try to get higher draft picks or save money for save it up for it worked for the Astros. We know it works when it's done properly. It's still not good for the game, especially when teams like the Pirates are, seem to be doing it in perpetuity.
1: <laughs> they, they certainly have. Yeah. And to your point about, about statistics, you know, one of the things that's been floated in these discussions is this idea that those young players, hey, we'll pay the young players players, but we'll do it using something like wins above replacement, and yeah. we'll use these formulas. And it's, I think, a lot of people have already come out and started saying like, you no, know, this this sets a bad precedent, and I think it allows teams in front offices, to, to manipulate the statistics in a certain oh, way by, by not setting up those players for success in a lot of different ways. And you can still, fudge, you can still fudge the numbers. So, mm-hmm. hey, we'll, we'll sure. pay the rookie of the year a lot more money. So, look, you're getting that. But if no. you're keeping down the top 100 prospects, okay. they won't have a chance to even win that award.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and this goes back when, in 19, I would say it was 1990 negotiations. Um, the owners came forward to us with this idea. They called it PFP which in baseball parlance is pitcher's fielding practice. In their terms, it was pay for performance. And they wanted a statistical-based salary structure. And our union just utterly laughed at the whole notion. I mean, it was a ridiculous idea because you're asking guys to be individuals. It's like fantasy league. And when the whole aspect, whole purpose is to win baseball games, and sometimes a guy has to hit a ball to the right side to move a runner up and give himself up. Or, you know, I, I read one guy on Twitter told me that he had a and they did that in winter ball and he had a player got thrown out the plate and the guy who hit him was mad cuz he cost him an RBI and started an altercation in the dugout you didn't run hard enough you cost me an RBI and it cost me money i mean that is the last thing baseball needs is to be pay people based on their statistics because we're we're forcing individuality and individ, we're making the name on the back more important than the name on the front
1: and that that ruined that will ruin the sport it's funny i actually spoke with someone recently about one of the ideas that Nike has is a way to put the player's name on the front of the shirt and, and the team name on the back. And so we'll, we'll see if well, something crazy like that's that happens.
0: Awful. That's an awful concept. <laughs> and, it, and it's again, it's why I don't play fantasy sports because that's not who I like, what I like to see. I'm root for teams, not individuals. And um, I mean, you pull for people, you know, to do well and all that, but you're, and fan, you're a fan, you're a fan of the team. And the more we fragment that, the worse things are going to get.
1: Fan, fan of the laundry, as Jerry Seinfeld mm-hmm. loves to say. Yep. You know, going back to uh, your your former employer there, uh, mm-hmm. Mr. Alan H. Seelig, mm-hmm. Bud Seelig. You know, he he does get some criticism. I think over time, I think people are starting to realize that he made the best of a bad situation, mm-hmm. and and that best was really good. It wasn't like, ah, eh, you mm-hmm. know, he did the best he could. He mm-hmm. he had you know, again, this work stoppage in 94, 95. And, and people said, I'm I'm never going back. I've had family members. Came, I come from a yep. baseball family mm-hmm. and they said, well, I'm not going back. And a lot of them, you know, stayed away for a very long mm-hmm. period of time. And, mm-hmm. and as much of a, of a you know black market is on the game about PEDs and everything that happened, he sustained baseball. He, he kept it alive. It and we're getting did. up to a point right now with some of the things that are, that are happening, particularly with this lockout uh, and and the things that, the commissioner is doing right now that we're seeing less and less people get into the, the sport of baseball and we're seeing the average age of fans getting older and older and so there is this fear that we're going in the wrong direction maybe maybe profit margins are better for for owners but is is the game thriving under him certainly you can't say that's that that's true when compared to what bud selig was able to do well, his-
0: obviously bud the times were different and bud was was very much bud was a season ticket holder for the seattle for the Seattle, when the Seattle Pilots moved he was a, he was a, back though. he was a season ticket holder for the Milwaukee Braves and when the Seattle Pilots came up for sale he bought the bottom and brought him in Milwaukee I mean he was a fan first he wanted to do what was best for the game he loved the game and I'd have I talked to him a lot of times in the locker room about games he was he was very much interested in that more so than the finances obviously you know you know I've always said if you do really well you focus your passion on what you do well the returns come on their own you know they'll, they'll Robin Yount and Paul Modder, team, two Hall of Fame teammates of mine, weren't at all worried about their own statistics. They were worried about doing what the team what they could do to help the team win. And guess what? Their statistics took care of themselves. So I, I think that kind of outlook really helps things. And now you, if you're trying to squeeze every penny out, that is going to change the product on the field. And the product on the field is not going to be as good. And I think that's why we're turning off fans. I don't think it's a a pace of play issue. I really don't. I, in fact. I can promise you, based on what Tony Clark told a group of us at the All-Star, at, when he's here for the All-Star break, you're not going to hear much about pace of play anymore because yeah. the sports betting industry doesn't care about sh- shortening length of games. And they're injecting a ton of money into this. So suddenly pace of play doesn't matter. Action still matters, though. And you still want to see if we're going to entertain people, it's got to be an action-based sport. And it can't be guys going up and, and taking six and seven, eight pitches in an at bat. That's Under normal circumstances, that's a boring at bat, right? People don't want to sit in there and watch. You and I both played softball, Patrick. You can play a seven inning game in in one hour because guys go up and swing the bat. I think if baseball got to the point where guys were swinging the bat more and there was more balls being put in play, fewer pitches being thrown would help the pitcher's health, the arms of the pitchers. It would help the the game move along quicker. I think everybody would be happier with the outcome. And so um, that's something, though, that doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily transactional or monetary. So I don't know if that kind of thing doesn't get much attention anymore.
1: That's sad. yeah yeah very mm-hmm. true and and if you've got pitchers going longer into games then you don't need these these mm-hmm. high leverage you know relievers quite as much and, mm-hmm. and spending a lot of money uh, and and not getting the bang for your buck when you spend a hundred million dollars mm-hmm. on a bullpen, then yeah. which which we know can be be frustrating at times. <sighs> yep. uh, head on down to the DNVR bar on the corner of Colfax in New York where you know your membership gets you a larger beer get discounts on all of our swag your annual membership does get you a free shirt at dnbrlocker.com. and if you're not a member already it's only 50 cents for your first month when you're down at the bar of course breckenridge brewery is always on tap along with their official seltzer good company hard seltzer you can pick yours up supers costco safeway just about anywhere get the 15 can sampler it's got a honeydew black cherry a lot of really delicious flavors for you to get into haven't been able to watch the nuggets and avalanche games as of late well guess what avaca tv is shifting the paradigm right now for tv delivery service that is both less expensive more efficient while offering a superior picture than those legacy providers. Ivaca TV is changing the game. They've got local networks like Altitude Sports and other national channels with more being added to the lineup. Their service is now available in Denver, Colorado Springs, Phoenix, as well as other Rocky Mountain markets such as Boise and Twin Falls, Idaho. But right now in Denver, Ivaca TV is using next-gen broadcast technology to allow for a more vibrant picture quality while using far less bandwidth than those streaming services. Simply using an antenna and Ivaca's smart receiver, customers in the Denver area can access next-gen broadcasts on ABC, NBC, Fox, and CW. Most importantly, did I mention Ivaca TV has altitude sports? Yes, that's the big one. They make it easy to follow the Colorado teams you love, including the Nuggets, Avalanche, Rapids, and Mammoth. Plus, you'll get access to coverage of the Rams, Pioneers, and baseball too. How to sign up for Avaca TV? Just go to Avoca.tv slash DNVR. And at only $25 per month, plus a receiver, there's no contracts, no hidden fees. The price is locked in for two years, and you've got what you've been looking for, and you've got what you've been longing for, with the Nuggets and Avalanche. Let's jump a little bit into your playing career because, you know, you, you had a very good one. You you were professional for over a decade and mm-hmm. uh, you got to see a, a lot of things. And I think, I don't know if you know this, you you're good with with trivia and, and these kind of things. You may be the only pitcher or only player to call Mile High Stadium his home twice with both the mm-hmm. Zephyrs well- and both the Colorado Rockies. Do you do you know if this is true? I or think that? my
0: I think my former talk show host partner Jim Tatum was also a Rocky and a Zephyr. Darren Holmes was also a Rocky and a Zephyr. Um, so I think there was a few of us actually that, Dante? that made that transition. Dante was never a Zephyr. He was a Brewer and he played. He played at Miley. We did play a mile High at Mile High Stadium a uh, Brewers versus Zephyrs exhibition game when the Triple A AAA game. But I think there was a handful. Um, I'm, Greg Vaughn might be in that mix um no greg greg Vaughn was a rocky later he wasn't a rocky right away he was still a brewer then. oh that's true
1: yeah that was of course field rocky yeah there, yeah it was only the 93 um, 94 for yeah
0: guys, right yeah so probably um perhaps who I, i'm leaving somebody out There there's a couple there were probably more than one but if you went back and looked at that brewers uh, that zephyr roster from 90 and 91 92 pat listash but you never played for the rockies um yeah no there's a there's a few
1: so well, yeah, so you, Darren,
0: Darren and Jim, I think for, certainly are in that group.
1: You, you didn't know you're the answer to a trivia question like that. That's that's an important one. Uh,
0: I'm going to answer some trivia questions. I'm not that excited about, but. Like, like <laughs> well, Manny Manny put on Twitter the other day. When uh, oh I I didn't see Frank, that one. Frank, yeah, Frank Thomas's first major league hit came off of me as that's a triple true. off the fence and it was should have been caught, as I will maintain till the day I die. And I told Frank that too. But um, it was just you know. Sometimes when you attribute, answer to a trivia question, it's not always putting you
1: in the best light. That's true. Well, two things. One, Frank <clears throat> Thomas was safe, clearly, at third base, whereas yes, Manny, I think I he was that. out on that throw from clearly. Ellis Burks. Ellis we, we will tell that. you that. Ellis knows. Yeah. Ellis already talked about if it. If you get that, get that reference, you know, you're, then you're enjoying this and episode. You're, then, you're listen, then you're listening to These our podcast. two worlds yeah. joining. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And two, I think you you were doing a little rope-a-dope. You're, you're thinking of the long game. You're like, look. Here's this young buck. He's going to have a long career. I'm going to tire him out here from the get-go, make him leg out this triple, and then let's see what happens in his next 10 at-bats against me. I, I normally
0: had I had pretty good success against that White Sox team, if I remember. I don't remember how that game turned out, but uh, I had decent success against that White Sox team. But Frank Thomas was an unknown when he came up, and so our our coaches, for whatever reason, decided we didn't have all these analytics scouting reports <laughs> they have now. Coaches decided they were going to bunch the outfielders. They are going to put them, play them in the gaps. So Rob Deere, our right fielder, had to run like a... Um, half mile to get to the ball that he normally would catch. So yeah, it happens. It's part Rob of history Deere.
1: now. Rob Deere, yep. the Joey Gallo of the eighties.
0: Rob Deere way ahead of his time. He'd fit in really nicely in baseball today.
1: He would, he would. So, swing for the fence. So again, born in, in Denver, you know, mm-hmm. first guy from Colorado to actually play on the Rockies. But yep. I think people might be interested to know that you played division one baseball at Colorado state university. You played in Fort Collins because right now there isn't any division one Baseball in Fort Collins or in Boulder at CU?
0: Dropped baseball at CSU in 1992. Uh, tried to drop it in 1982 when I was still playing and um, were able to muster the funds to keep it going and finish that season. And then I think they had some parental contributions. Honestly, can't think of another situation where private funding sustained a, a, a college program, a Division One program like that. I mean, we saw during right before the COVID year when Boise State uh, dropped, had, had brought back baseball for the first time. And then when COVID hit, they dropped it. And I was coaching some Boise State kids in the summer that year. And they, they said, well, they're going to bring it back. And it just doesn't ever work out because it's not sustainable long-term. At some way at CSU, they kept it going for 10 more years, which is pretty remarkable um, in face of what they were fighting with Title IX and all that. So it, it's a hole. It's definitely a hole at, at Fort Collins. It's something that uh, I wish they would try to address. They've got other things they have to deal with first, facility, paying, off, paying off facilities like a new stadium. Um, but But at some point... You know, with Wyoming not having baseball, that and that makes it tough as a uh, you know, travel partner. Although UNC might be able to slip in there and fit that bill at some point too. So there's ways to make it happen. I just don't think the motivation is there right now to bring it back.
1: Yeah, that was that was going to be my next question if if we'll ever <laughs> see it. And so yeah, we we probably have a good ten years on until we get yeah. something like that. I mean, and it's still this as club ball, but yeah. it's not it's a very not successful club move. ball.
0: Very successful club program. Um, in fact, I asked. Uh, uh, you know, Tom McMillan is. Tom McMillan played in the NBA, was a congressman, had him on a podcast yesterday, and asked him about the club sports becoming more prevalent than Olympic sports in, at the college level. And he said he, he's fearful that could happen. And he thinks that's one of the reasons our Olympic program, especially in the winter side, is, is slipping because we're not putting emphasis on the non revenue sports in colleges anymore. And uh, that was not a fun thing to hear, but he's probably accurate.
1: Yeah, you were selected 69th overall in the third round. 28 guys taken before you that never made it to the majors. So mm-hmm. people couple in my couple of, with the Astros too. That's right. Yeah. Pe- people just, I, I don't know if they know how hard it is that, that path, you know, I mean, again, you teach uh, your you're coach of, of a high school club, there, prospect Ridge Academy in Broomfield. And, and we'll get to that, that later, but I'm sure you, you tell your players that, look, there's a, a small fraction of, of players in high school that even get to play baseball in college, let alone division one. And then a fraction of that get drafted and a fraction of that even make it to the majors. It's it's grueling.
0: It's a tough road, and you have to have some for- good fortunate things happen to you. you have, in my case, I got much taller. My senior year in high school, I grew a lot, and that matters to a pitcher. It really does. I mean, there's a few Pedro Martinez's out there, but for the most part, pitchers, because of l- leverage, you have to be tall. You have to be able to throw the ball downhill. And so that helped. I got some great coaching from a, a legendary man named Bus Campbell that a lot of people have heard of, a lot, not to, as many of us know anymore, but – um, without bus, I would never gotten anywhere near pro professional baseball and CSU obviously offered me, offered me the opportunity to, to perform in, at division one level. So I got, you get, you need some breaks along the way. I tell my kids, um, if you're good nowadays, uh, to, good enough to play in college or and later on good enough to play in the pros, they'll find you. Somebody will find you. So you just go about your business, control what you can control, become the best player you can be and see what happens. But, but go as far as you can go. Uh, unfortunately, I've had some kids that opted, it didn't. I guess it didn't matter that much to him, And that's okay too. Um, that I think if they had put a little bit more work into it, could have performed at the college level. Uh, and who knows after that? Um, but you've got to have it inside and outside to want to do it. You've got to have it inside you and you've got to have the physical skills on the outside to make it happen. I'll tell you, I'm excited. I'm going to put the jinx on right now. I'm excited. Uh, my, my shortstop this year is going to be uh, David Bodie's nephew, um, Bob Bodie's grandson. Bob's going to be on my coaching staff. The high school people around here know Bob Bodie, he's been around forever and ever and, Coached state championship teams in the Hall of Fame. Bob's going to be on my coaching staff, and Zeke, his his uh, grandson, is going to be my shortstop. And I can tell you right now, Zeke's a ninth grader. Zeke's going to play in the big leagues. He is really, really talented. Right now, he needs to get bigger and stronger. Mother Nature will take care of a lot of that. But this kid
1: has big leagues written all over him. And hopefully, by the time he's ready for the majors, there there's actual games going on. The lockout's over. Yeah, we hope so. Yeah, yeah, probably. I'm feeling good about that. Yeah, one. I do. I, I, it-
0: I would I would make that bet. I'd put some money on that. Yeah.
1: So again, you get drafted, uh, you know, come up with mm-hmm. with the Astros. I'd I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you. And know, I think you told the once before a couple of years ago on our draft show some of your favorite either Mike Scott or Nolan Ryan stories because mm-hmm. those yeah. guys are just otherworldly. Well, uh,
0: Nolan obviously is from Krypton, and so what he you <laughs> can't compare him to mortals. Um, I saw a video of him the other day. What sixty five years old throwing 80, 90 mile an hour first pitch oh ceremonial first pitch. yeah, It's, it's obscene. Um, and I, I remember following him around in the weight room trying to do what he did. And he's, I don't know, 15 years young, older than I am, or 12 years older than I am. And I couldn't come close to doing what he could do in the weight room. Was From grip strength to whatever he weights, I mean, he the man, no one's ever worked harder than that man. Uh, and that's why his longevity was there, and that's why the career numbers were there. But uh, it's a combination of God-given talent and just unbelievable work ethic. Um, Mike Scott, on the other hand, was Scotty didn't have much of a work ethic, to be honest with you. Scotty's idea of a workout was 18 holes of golf. But again, talent meets opportunity. Uh, Roger Craig taught him a split finger fastball. He had the right delivery. He was right over the top of his delivery, so it worked for him, and he was a master. And he, it was just so much fun to watch those two guys pitch every other day and and be part of that rotation for a brief time. And he, you know, the other guys in the rotation were uh, well, Joe Necro for a short time, Bob Nepper, who I still see from time to time is around the region. And Jim Deshays, so I mean, we were pretty good. We were a pretty good baseball team. That's why we won the division in '86.
1: And and Deshays, I think he was on the Boulder Collegians too for a little bit. Well, we'll I talk. About I your did not know that. Again. Yeah, I didn't know.
0: It. I will have to give him. If he, if that's the case, I'm calling. He's going to have to make a donation because I didn't know that.
1: He he's on the he's on the email that I sent you. The doc, he? Okay, the, well then that's it. so guys. He's
0: he's he's in. I'm, I'll have to call him. He's in. He's in. He's he's a lock. He's making a lot of money right now. He can handle it. He
1: can make a donation yeah love that yeah that, that that's going to be exciting too uh mm-hmm. i'm curious what uh, where's your fastball sitting at these days
0: uh I sit on the shelf over here somewhere <laughs> I, no no I'm, I'm i'm gonna try i listen i walked away with my arm intact one thing i'm really proud of in my career four years of college 12 years of pro ball no surgeries never had a surgery never had a never had a cortisone shot um had, had good training good teaching from Buzz campbell uh, good medical attention from chiropractors I, I saw and stuff like that and stayed healthy and I want to keep it that way so I don't even throw batting practice now no yeah. okay nope don't even throw batting practice I'm healthy right. I can brush my teeth I can brush my hair I can I can use my right arm like I'm supposed to use it so I'm not changing
1: that if you can lift it over your head yeah you did that's, it right yeah all i all mean, good it's all good for, for anyone that doesn't know we yeah, have Bus Campbell's is huge in, in Colorado baseball i, I Worked with Roy Halliday so too. Probably,
0: probably, the bus time. is probably, I'm not sure this to be true, but at the time he got elected in 1987, and that took a lot of us making a, a really concerted effort to push this through. I think he was the only guy who'd never been a head coach who was in the, in the sport, elected to the Colorado Sports Hall of Fame. Long always, always an assistant coach with the Cleans at the high school level, wherever he was, UNC for a short time, CSU for a brief time, University of Iowa, never the head coach. And But he was that important that, that once we pushed people to see, this long list of more than 100 guys that he'd coached to to uh, make make it to the big leagues, and some of them, obviously, Roy Halladay ended up in the Hall of Fame, uh, there's no question his impact. I mean, at, at Bus's funeral, Roy, I sat with Roy at Bus's funeral. We, we both spoke, and I read a letter from Jamie Moyer. People know the Jamie Moyer story, pitched until he was 50 years old or whatever it was. He was done 18 years before that when Digger Phelps, who was a friend of the uh, the coach, his father, he's Jamie's father-in-law. He was a friend of the coach at, at, at Iowa where Bus was working at Iowa. They got together and they said, let's, so Jamie came out here and worked out with us in one off season and pitched 18 more years after Bus Campbell put, worked him over. And that, that's, and Jamie knew that and has never waned from that. And uh, I think you can find a lot of guys who will look at that guy and say, he's the reason
1: I got where I got. That's amazing. Yeah. Moyer's career really didn't start until mm-hmm. he was his yep. early 30s. Kind of yep. the, the typical left-hander where you go out, late bloomer, yep. and it takes a while to figure it out. And after, uh, after. I wasn't aware of that that bus was, yep. was integral. Bus was
0: the guy that resurrected Jamie Moyer's
1: career. Yeah. Integral in getting some good sleep has got to be. The dissolvable gummies from Ripple, it's clinically proven to hit two times faster than the leading gummies. There's also Ripple Quick Sticks, the most convenient way to get the fastest THC. Just pour it on your tongue if you need to. Ripple products come with a variety of doses for whatever experience you're looking for. There's absolutely no sketchy science here. Ripple's speed and absorption were studied by Colorado State University, getting a lot of shout outs here today. Up there in Fort rounds oh, yeah uh in a randomized placebo-controlled trial with real people and yes the results were published in a peer-reviewed journal so where can you get ripple look for it at lightshade colorado's premier dispensary with 10 soon to be 11 convenient denver metro and aurora locations they've got something for everyone from the casual consumer to the connoisseur. Lightshade has a premium selection of cannabis concentrates, top shelf flour, edibles, tinctures, accessories, and more. Podcast listeners can get 25% off non-sale items with code DNVR. Shop online at lightshade.com for pickup or visit a Lightshade location near you need to tell you about Sexy Pizza and their 13 years in the Denver community making that fresh from scratch each morning dough, hand-tossed, deck-oven pizza. Sexy Pizza is as local as it gets. Cool thing is, if you want to give back to your community while getting some tasty pizza at the same time, just know that a portion of every sale from five specialty philanthropies at Sexy Pizza is donated to a range of different nonprofits right here in colorado and sexy pizza can also support your organization or event all you need to do is go to www.sexy.pizza and check out their about page for the donations link to see how sexy pizza can support your cause stop by any of their four denver locations on capitol hill old south pearl jefferson park and park hill as well as their new location down in trinidad colorado open for business so mark Couple weekends ago, the Friends of Baseball event up in Greeley, UNC, got to see those ball players. There was fantastic. Spoke with Eric Davis, Tom Runnels, and they talked about how great the crowds would be at Mile High Stadium before it was Major League Baseball. We're just talking Triple A, which again, yep. if that's the best that you've got, that's great. But yep. for a Triple A ball game in Denver in the late '80s, 80,000 people were showing up.
0: There it was. There were some days there that was just astonishing, and then the players. When I got here to play for the Zephyrs, I grew up going to Denver Bears games and Denver Zephyrs games. I worked in the parking lot with the orange jumpsuit and I'd go watch batting practice and, and collect foul balls and I'd practice with those. So um, I kind of knew what we we're, were in for. And when I arrived here in 1990 with the Zephyrs uh, to play for the Zephyrs, actually, no, I take it back. 80 would have been 80, 80, 88 with the Zephyrs. Um, the, the guys I, who weren't from around here were astonished. I kept trying to tell them, this is what to expect. This is what we're going to get here, you know, especially on promotional nights. uh, It was magical. And it uh, surprised me. It always surprised me. It took major league baseball that long to figure it out because the stadium was not a big league stadium, as we know, but the fact that you could put 75,000 people in there to watch a baseball game and you could uh, experience some, some dramatic moments. I mean, Joey Myers, legendary home run. I was in the dugout when he hit that ball into the upper deck. Uh, you just saw things there that were just big league all the way. And you had a triple A team playing in a big league environment and it was just a matter of time before that translated to the big leagues.
1: Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. Denver's a big league town long before, as you said, they they got the Rockies. Mm -hmm. Now, Mark, I think you're a bit of a jokester and I'm going to put you on the spot here. I I think you are. I think you're a bit of a jokester because one of your baseball cards with the Denver Zephyrs, I'll put this up and most people are going to look at it and go. What's, what's funny? The mustache? No, the mustache looks good. That was very much yeah. of the time. I'm looking at the sleeves. Everything looks totally normal in this, but, it, but it's not. Mark, what, what are you doing here in this picture?
0: I wasn't the only one. Go back and look at the whole set. <laughs> um, I, this was 19, I want to say 1988. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it was 1987. I but did. I was not, I, I had a pulled attitude muscle at that point. And I was unhappy that I had been sent down to AAA. And so when they ask you to take a triple-A baseball card, you're like, eh, I don't want to do this. And so I decided traded gloves with one of, my, uh, one of the left-handed pitchers on the team, and I'm a lefty and he's a righty. In fact, this same set has a, a picture of Billy Bates, who people might not remember that, not the bat- football player from Dallas. The, the baseball player ended up, if you remember the 1990 World Series, he was a key part of, the, of Cincinnati beating the Dodgers, in that, or beating the A's, excuse me, in that World Series. Uh, with Rob Dibble and and Randy Myers and those guys, and Billy's not just a left. Billy was a second baseman. In his picture, he's not just a left-handed pitcher. He's he's doing a pickoff move to first. <laughs> so we, we all didn't take this too seriously that at that day at Mile High Stadium and just kind of showing our displeasure with with the whole thing. So it was more of a joke. It was more of a bad attitude at the time.
1: Well, it's funny. It, it's subtle enough. It, yes. Look, it's no Billy Ripken. It's not. A, we don't have a Billy right. Ripkin situation yeah. here. Right. It's right. good and i would leave it at that mark but you know what that wasn't the only time Uh you pulled this you go to Uh las vegas Uh and even bigger smile Uh and a smirk on your face with the old left-handed and
0: and very much unhappy that i wasn't a padre i'd made the i thought i'd made the team out of spring training got sent down and very unhappy about that so resurrected the idea
1: but I respect it because you, not only did you double down, you tripled down, and here's what yeah, that Mark was Lutzen but that was but see, that was with a bat.
0: <laughs> that was legit though. I, I was I was ready to hit that day. We were all ready okay. to hit that day with the glasses and the whole bit. Now, I played for Jim Riggleman that year in, in Vegas. He was uh, he just got a job. I saw the other day on Twitter in the in some independent league. But he Billings. one of the best guys ever was around. I was ever around. Great manager.
1: Yeah, he's going to be managing the Billings Mustangs, yeah, uh, part of the the Pioneer League, and so Absolutely. you'll have a chance to bump into him. I will. I two, will. Uh, I will
0: try to. Well, we got three options here. We got Colorado Springs, Windsor, and and Grand Junction. Now
1: that's right. Northern Colorado Owls uh, mm-hmm. are, are coming mm-hmm. up. We'll see. They're building the stadium now, so I'm I'm excited. They promised
0: me. I've been told it'll be ready for the season late May. It'll be ready to go.
1: In fact, I was invited to bring my
0: high school team there to play next spring, not this spring, So That'll be fun.
1: That's, that's exciting. Yeah. So as you mentioned, you're playing in Las Vegas. What, what is that like as a market? Is that a baseball town or is that just a very unique thing back? You know, again, this, this is a while, while ago, of course, where Las Vegas yep. wasn't a major league city. But Mm-mm. still, did, did you get a good sense like, you know, this is a decent little baseball town? It was hot.
0: Oh, it was hot. <laughs> it was the hottest place I've ever been in the summertime. The stadium, Cashman Field was um, sunk down. It was surrounded by parking lot. It was sunk down. So the heat just poured in there. I mean, it couldn't even run during, uh, in the afternoon. To get ready for the game, it was just too hot. But no, it was a, it was a fun place to be. Um, most people, and you, I'm sure you've been there plenty of times, Patrick. It's a place you want to be for three or four days, and then you've had enough time to leave. And I think that was our prevailing thought <clears throat> as players. We love being having the homestand, but first few days you'd go to a comedy club or you go to a casino or something. And that's last half of the homestand. You're tired. You just want to stay home. And you come back from a road trip. Now you're going back and you know playing the slot machines in the airport or the grocery store or whatever. I never at the time thought it would be a big league city, but it's obviously way bigger than what they didn't have arenas or anything then. Uh, I could see the day where Major League Baseball puts a team there. Now you've got a football team there. Why not build a retractable? You'd have to have a dome stadium. It's just too hot got in the it. summer. But it's, they are thinking, for it's a forward thinking place. I mean, I wrote about this a couple of times. When the Chargers left San Diego, it was because the people of San Diego didn't want to approve a tax to build a stadium on tourists. The tax wasn't going to be on the people of San Diego. It was going to be on – it was a t- hotel, a tourism tax. They wouldn't have to pay it, and they, they lost their football team because they didn't want to do that. The same tax is what passed in Las Vegas. And they built that gorgeous new facility they have there, and I can see them continue to do that. I, I, might, I wouldn't be shocked if there's a major league team in Vegas someday.
1: Yeah, the voters here in Denver put a tax on yeah. themselves in order to, to fund mm-hmm. the Rockets. And, and built so. two stadiums
0: with, for the price of one. That's how successful it was, and they could do that again. Yeah, We might get yeah. a new football stadium pretty soon, right? That's what they're saying.
1: Yeah, I mean, what? This one's only—you know—this one's twenty years old. Ah, it's so old.
0: Get rid of it, man.
1: It's gross. Yeah. did Did you ever get any uh, interesting celebrities coming out throwing out the first pitch, like Don Rickles? Uh, in no. Vegas? Well, I remember, like I remember. one time,
0: <laughs> Raleigh Raleigh Massimino was the coach at UNLV, and he came out throughout the first pitch one day. I can't remember if we had any, any. Um, didn't have any big time celebrities. It was too hot. Anyone come out and go go through that? Um, I I mean, I had fun in Las Vegas at the ballpark. Even I mean. Um, but I don't remember any celebrities coming out to throw. I don't know if they came to games, but they didn't go venture out on the field. But that's a good idea. They probably have done that in the past. Didn't do yeah, it that, that year.
1: They'll they'll definitely make that work in, in the next iteration. You would I, think so. I think that's probably the favorite because you want to put maybe one one more team on the West Coast, one on the mm-hmm. East. Nashville, Nashville seems to be the Nashville, favorite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Las Vegas in the West. Those are kind mm-hmm. of the, the favorites at, at this makes point. Sense. I think that makes sense. Makes sense. Definitely does. Now, uh, during your career, did you have a favorite catcher that, that you threw to? And I bring that up because, again, uh, every Monday, the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast comes out with you and Manny. And, and just recently, had Tracy Ringles on talking about the history of catchers and, you know, in Colorado. And as much as it's always been this thing of, ah, oh, they've never produced an all star catcher. Mm, nope. Is a lot of the expansion teams really have struggled to do. I think Mike well, DiFelice is the only yeah. one from the expansion teams uh, of, the, of the last four for the Rays. And so maybe it's not as bad as you think, but did you have, what, what makes for a good catcher? I really is what I should say. Well,
0: I brought up Charlie O'Brien during the podcast. I either, you know, I worked with Charlie before he became Greg Maddox's catcher later on. And what makes a great catcher is somebody who's defensive minded first. His offense is okay. He's not going to worry too much about it. He's going to do what he can do with the bat, but he really wants to work with the pitching staff and, and really make the best of that. And Charlie just had such soft hands and such a good way of moving behind the plate that he made balls look like strikes. And, that obviously was huge, um, he, and he obviously could throw. He was a, a really, really good catcher, and that's why uh, Greg Maddox decided a few years later that this had to be his catcher as well. Um, but again, if you get to that level, I mean, B.J. Suroff was our number one catcher that, that year, and B.J. was a tr- dynamic offensive player. And, had been a converted shortstop. Had played shortstop at North Carolina, converted to play catcher. Wasn't his favorite thing to do. He was good at it. Obviously, you don't catch in the big if you're not really good at it. But you could tell he, he during batting practice, he's out taking ground balls at short and stuff like that. And Charlie's not, mess, Charlie's hanging out with the pitchers in the outfield. So um, I think it's it starts with a mindset. And you've got to have a mindset where you're going to take a beating. It is, and I'll argue with anybody who wants to argue with me, the, the toughest position in all of sports, period. And I don't want to hear from the goaltenders and the hockey goaltenders because they don't have to score points. They don't have to counsel their pitcher and talk him off a ledge with, in a bases loaded situation. They don't have to be a pitching coach. And a, I mean, do all those types of things. So it's the toughest position, position in all of sports. And my hats off to guys that can do it well. Charlie was the best one I ever threw too.
1: Yeah, and you know, and even with the the, the plays at the plate with the Buster yeah. Posey rules, there mm-hmm. it's still oh, the yeah. hardest I mean, position. Try Kingdom catching Englanders.
0: a throw. Try catching a throw from a one hop throw from an outfielder with a guy bearing down on you. You gotta eyes got to go two different directions at the same time. It's still very difficult to do.
1: It really is. You're not going to get plowed
0: you know, anymore like Mike Socha used to get, but you're still going to have to make the play.
1: Do you know if uh, if Charlie gets any royalties for those those hockey mask helmets? Because people might not know. I yeah, love those kind of little piece he of trivia. Huh? Right, when he was yeah. up in Toronto. I think it was ninety six. Mm-hmm. He go, he goes to a hockey game and goes, you know what? Mm-hmm. That mask, I, I could wear that as a catcher. And he was the first one to do that as an older guy too. Yeah, he was this young yeah. swagger. He was a little that's bit using right. his late thirties at that point. And well, now, there's, you know, that's if common. there's
0: royal there's royalties to be got, he got them. I can promise you that. But I don't know. I know as far as I know, he still is back in Oklahoma. as a farmer in Oklahoma. That's what he always wanted to do. Um, so I don't know, but like I said, if, if there was a royalty to be got, he got it, I promise. Cause he should That's,
1: have. You've had some good shows again on the park of just Rockies podcast, uh, with C. Trent Rosecrans, former president mm-hmm. of the BBWA talking all things about baseball hall of fame. I know it's, yep. it seems like it was like a month ago, but Hey, you, there's not a lot of other things going on right now. So yeah. we can continue to, I, to talk yeah, about it. You, you <laughs>
0: can tell, tell Manny about that. Manny's he's uh, bouncing <laughs> off the walls right now. not going to talk about anything.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well the, once we got a chance to talk to Eric Davis, he's like, okay, now yeah, I've yeah, got He, he was happy, happy about now. that. Yep. That's his guy too. So I I, wow. I was really happy for him. But you had C Trent on, which was great. Mm-hmm. I, I gotta ask, do you do you feel like your generation of ball players are are underrepresented in the baseball hall of fame? I don't know about
0: my generation. I just think the Hall of Fame is underrepresented to be across the board. I think yeah. there's a lot of guys. Again, I view it like I think Jason Stark said it. You can either have a cathedral or you can have a museum. The other sports have a museum. I don't think there's one – who can tell me that Dikembe Matumba was a Hall of Fame basketball player? Hall of Fame humanitarian after his playing career? Absolutely, right? Good. He averaged nine points and ten rebounds a game, and he's in the Hall of Fame. Basketball, obviously the bar is not so high. I think the bar is too high in baseball. I really do. I think there's a lot of guys that you can't tell the story of the game in their era without them, like Dale Murphy. I know his numbers don't stack up, and Manny'll argue with me on this because Manny wants to make it numbers based. But I just think there's there's not enough guys in there because when you leave out a Dale Murphy, who was a what he was a dominant player in the 1980s, he was the guy, yeah. and yet he didn't play long enough. You know, and they made an exception for Kirby Puckett, American League, his career shortened by in- injuries. So if you're going to make that Gail Sayers, Kirby Puckett kind of exception, look at a guy like Dale Murphy and say this guy was spectacular for a short amount of time. But he was still spectacular and he still should be in the Hall of Fame. And, and so I don't know but I limit it to my generation, but certainly Billy Wagner, Kenny Lofton, uh, you know, as, as distasteful as it might be, Kurt Schilling. A lot of these guys belong in the Hall of Fame. Where, you know, Obviously, in the, I put Bonds and Clemens and, and those guys in without without even batting an eye. Um, I, I don't think, I guess I'm a little bit more discerning than a lot of people. I know Sammy Sosa was integral to what you talked about earlier about the renaissance of baseball under Bud Sealing in the late, late 90s. But I believe the Sammy Sosa I played against was a skinny guy who was a singles hitter. I believe, my, and I have no proof of this. I'm not making casting aspersions. I'm just saying, I believe performance-enhancing substances made him a home run hitter. I don't. That's not true about Barry Bonds. That's not true about Mark McGuire. Mark McGuire was a raw, as a raw rookie at 49 home runs. Skinny, tall, rookie for the A's, big, long swing at 49 home runs. Now, does Mark's career measure up to his Can you tell the story of baseball without Roger Maris? Why isn't he in the Hall of Fame? I just think our our standards are a little bit too high, maybe too numbers driven in some respects. But the new analytics do tell you, and Manny's been helpful with me learning this stuff, how good a guy like Larry Walker was, even though he didn't reach those milestones, at 3,000 hits or 500 home runs, how good he really was in comparison with his peers. I think if you use that on, on all these guys, there'd be a lot more guys in the Hall. When I was there, I was shocked. The first time I walked in there, I was shocked by how few plaques there are in there. They have room for four times as many plaques as they have in that place. It's big empty. And I think the game's doing itself a disservice by not honoring those guys. And not just maybe honoring is not the right word, recognizing those guys. Because if you want to tell the story of Pete Rose betting on baseball as a manager, tell it. It's part of the history of the game. It's part, it should be in the museum. Museums aren't all nice, nice things, right? We have museums that that depict some of the bad things that have happened to.
1: Yeah, Dale Murphy, back to back MVPs. Yeah. He's one of only like eleven yeah. guys to do it. Yeah. And pretty much everybody on that list is a Hall yeah. of Famer, other mm-hmm. than Roger Maris, who's another And, and
0: think about best. this about think about this about about the NBA or pre- basketball in general. Every eligible former MVP is in the Hall of Fame. So Nicole Jokic is already in. And I we're, yeah. we're happy to have him. He's having a great year and he's having he's having a magnificent career. But he's already in. Think about that. He's basically yeah. already in the Hall of Fame. And Dale Murphy wins it twice and can't get in. I, I just think that's that's a standard baseball shouldn't be holding itself to.
1: And Rob Manford's in too, right? You got, you got every commissioner's in. <laughs> Unfortunately, don't don't kill the messenger. But you know, yeah. it's I, I don't get too bent out of shape with with guys like Harold Baines or Bill Mazeroski, where I, you know they the low bars, be, yeah, yeah. They they wouldn't be maybe in my Hall of Fame, but you know right. what? If if you had other players of their ilk, and you say, well, maybe Mattingly wasn't you know a, a definitive Hall of Famer, but he was really close. Put him in. Uh is. And maybe, I told you, Maybe Matt, not put him in. Once you start doing that, you'll fill in those gaps. And you right. know what? Then, then it'll make a lot more sense. Right.
0: Mattingly's the best hitter I ever faced. And he, his career was cut short by, by an injury. That's the same thing that happened to Kirby Puckett. Yeah. Right? So why is Don not, not there? I mean, to me, um, Wade Boggs got in the Hall of Fame and deserved it with his, his performance. But I played, played against both of them in their primes, and there was no comparison between the two. Mattingly was a far better hitter, a far more feared hitter by every pitcher that walked up the, on the mound. Boggs, you're afraid. Oh man! If I don't make if I don't make the perfect pitch, he's going to hit a little flare somewhere. He's going to slap one off the green monster. He's going to do something, and he did it magnificently. He helped his team win win games, and he belongs in the Hall of Fame. But he wasn't Don Mattingly, and Don Mattingly couldn't play because of his back, like Larry Bird couldn't play longer because of his back. And we're punishing Don Mattingly. That's not right.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I see. I, I
0: still maintain, Patrick. I still maintain. I, I wrote about this. We don't need to have the baseball writers, and maybe at some point you'll be one of the one of those. They shouldn't be right. Trent told us Rosecrans. He's now, the athletics been purchased by the New York Times, which does not allow its writers to vote because of the journalistic standards you and I both understand. You report the news, you don't make the news. I think that we've got to get to the point where the baseball writers are not making this selection anymore, that we have a selection committee. You know, Tracy's on the, the committee to to do the veterans. There needs to be a committee of a cross-section of play, former players, former managers, former umpires, former executives, former media members. I mean, Ben Scully right now should be voting on the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Right. Though then we'd get a Hall of Fame that was really, really truly reflective of the history of the game, I think.
1: And, and there's no real perfect, perfect answer because even under your scenario, which I, which I agree with, I'd, I'd be fine mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. There's going to be players who get in because of who is, is on yeah. that panel. Like again, well, Harold Baines, well, we saw how what they do. Him. You know what? Terl- they're still going to get, they, gonna get do- a lot more right than wrong.
0: Yeah, and what they do though, and, and when they're discussing a particular player, and there's somebody who has a connection to him, that person leaves the room, just like the college football playoff committee. That person yeah. leaves the room. That's how they do it in the veterans committee stuff. I don't know. Larusa got Harold Baines in the Hall of Fame. There's no question about that. And I played against Harold Baines number of years. I never once, when he walked to the plate, thought I was facing a Hall of Famer. Never considered. Never, never, never crossed my mind. I thought that about George Brett. Thought that about Kirby Puckett. Thought that about Don Mattingly. Never thought once about Harold Baines. I'm cl- happy for him. And he he was shocked as anybody that he got in, but we will eliminate the biased when we have a bigger group of, of selectors, and you can take a guy out like that who has a connection like Larusa had with with Baines, or someone who puts him up puts him forward for nomination has to leave the room while everybody else talks about him, something like that. They they can figure out a way to make it work correctly.
1: Yeah. Did Did you ever get that sense about a guy like Joe Carter? Because I know he had you know pretty good numbers against you. Is he a guy no. you go, eh? This this at least could be a Hall of Famer, if not definitely a, a probably, Hall of Fame guy.
0: Probably not, not. I wouldn't put Joe in that category. Right. Joe was a great player and a great hitter. Played against him in college when he was at Wichita State. He and Charlie O'Brien were teammates at Wichita State. Um, and he was a, a, a fantastic baseball player. But I don't know that I would ever look at Joe and say he was a Hall of Famer. Uh, he's a World Series hero. Uh, that's pretty darn good. Um, but, I mean, there's, there's guys that – and, again, Manny brings up Kenny Lofton all the time um, – Kenny Lofton's career numbers say he should be in the Hall of Fame. And for whatever reason, he fell off on the first ballot. So if if, if that happens to a Kenny Lofton, then a guy like Joe Carter's got no shot, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, inexplicable. Uh, Joe Carter, also
0: Boulder Collegian. Boulder Collegian. A great. I played against him there too. Trust me.
1: That Tony would be Gwynn a- batted
0: third. Tony Gwynn was batting third. Yeah. Joe Carter was batting fourth. That was a quite a team.
1: That would be a good segue to talk about the Boulder collegians, but I still got one more question. Cause sure. I know, I know you've, you've again talked about this in the park adjusted Rockies podcast, Rockies team hall of fame. Yeah. They need to have it. Yeah. Would you put your former, well, he wasn't your manager. No, he was your manager in 93. And he was your coach mm-hmm. in Milwaukee, Don Baylor. Do you, do you think oh, he I've, needs to be in that
0: charter member? Mem- absolutely. Yeah. Don, you'll never meet. And I mentioned Jim Riggleman and I put Don in that same category, one of the best people I ever was ever around. And, um, Just a man's man, knew how to play the game, knew how to respect his opponents, knew how to, you know, nobody got hit by a pitch more by the time when he retired. Nobody had been hit by a pitch more than Don Baylor. He charged him mound once against John Denny, and he told me the reason he did that was because John Denny was thrown at his head. Don would take one off the bicep and laugh and run to first. Then he'd take out the second baseman to show him not to do that. So the second baseman's going up to the pitcher and say knock that off. So that's the way the game was policed back then. But Don was ultimate professional, great hitting coach, great I really, I don't know that I I didn't get enough time with him as a manager. He definitely had changed as a manager. He definitely got more uptight and and felt, you could tell he was feeling the pressure uh, when the first year of the Rockies because he was bound to determine we wouldn't lose a hundred games and we didn't. But at Milwaukee, when he was a hitting coach in Milwaukee, he was just the the guy that everybody wanted to hang around with. Everybody wanted to be around, learn from, listen to. Um, Yeah. He'd definitely be in the first class. No question.
1: Would you, would you want his number 28 retired as well?
0: Yes. And again, I think that's something the Rockies don't do enough of. It took him a long time to get Larry Walker's number retired, which I thought was puzzling. But yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody should wear Don Baylor's number ever again. I, You could make a case for Andres Galarraga. You could make a case for a lot of... Listen, we're talking about Harold Baines. Harold Baines was traded from the White Sox, I believe, to the Rangers. Yeah, for the Rangers to Sammy Sosa. Um, at, at some point, I don't remember the, the year. Six weeks later, while he was still playing for the Rangers, the White Sox retired his number. Yeah. Did you know that? They retired him. He was a, still true. an active player, and he played more. And then he came back and played for the team again, for the White Sox again, Harold Baines did. So that's why I say Harold, Nolan Arenado's number should be retired by the Rockies
1: right now. Right yeah. now, Why not? B- Baines has uh, – he's got some photographs on, on some people for sure. Something. And, something happened. And, and it's number 25 for Don Baylor. I right, spoke right. I'm, I'm thinking of Nolan Arenado 28, already. 28 stolen, yep. That's right, twenty-five for for Don Baylor, and mm-hmm. it, and it's interesting too. Like you said, it took so long to get Larry Walker's number retired, and it was really sure only done once it was already kind of known oh. he's probably going to get oh, in, oh, and that you. I think that that hurt him just like it's hurt Lou Whitaker, who the yes. Tigers are now finally retiring his number one in Crazy. Detroit. Crazy, I,
0: you don't know. There's behind the scenes things that go on that sure. you know. I don't know that Larry Walker left here in the best best of ways with the Rockies. He was frustrated; the team wasn't winning. Um, and Larry had some personal growth to do at that point. Um, I'm glad he got to go to St. Louis and have the su- success he had in St. Louis. Uh, I think it was a cherry on top of a great Hall of Fame career, but I think there was must have been, been some lingering bad feelings here. That's all I can figure, because there's no reason his number wasn't retired a long time ago.
1: When you go back and look at your <laughs> 1993 Tops card, is it great to know that the hat and the jersey has stayed the same? It's kind of timeless, no?
0: Well, I think they did that on purpose. If I don't, if I'm not mistaken, they did that because they wanted to be the Yankees, who don't change things. And I, I do think that's good. I hate the black vests. I think those are gross, and I hate the purple shirts too. The purple ones look like Barney the Dinosaur. I'm not a fan of either of those. They look softball to me. But this, that's a classic look, right? That, that pinstripe Rockies, and they've they tweaked it, upgraded it a little bit, what you can do. But I don't think they should ever mess with that. That was that's something to maybe again tweak, twist around once in a while, but always go back to that. That's the foundation.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of gotten to the part now where you know you'd see teams do all these rebrandings, and maybe five, ten yeah. years ago, you, you would the have. The Diamondbacks
0: change colors every other year, don't they?
1: Pretty much. Yeah, actually, I I just got a a, a message here on on my phone on Twitter. I think they just changed their logo again. Yeah. So you know what what are you gonna do? But now it's gotten to the point where you go now you now you almost can't change it. You just have <sighs> to have right. fun and and yeah. do those those little tweet- alternates. Alternates. That's it you speaking of having fun you have a lot of fun on the coaching side i mean mm-hmm. between the boulder collegians the, the general manager and mm-hmm. prospect ridge academy i mean go go wild on on either of those i want to i want to hear about this trip you got coming up because you're going to be in arizona well, mark newton is going to be playing kind I,
0: of well we're going to scrap we're going to practice we don't get to play um we have our full schedule games here but you know look outside right now i don't know that we might get in the last remember last march we didn't have high school baseball last March because of COVID, but we had a kind of a club season in, in place of that to get ready for the regular season, which started at the end of April. We would have, we played once all last March because of the snow one game. And I don't know, you can count on playing games in March in Colorado before spring break. So we decided Mark Johnson, the legendary coach at Cherry Creek told me, he said, listen, just take your team what I do take my team down to Arizona. It's a family trip for the families. They pay their own way. They go down there but the team gets together and practices and then in the afternoon, go to some games. So we're going to try that this year and see if we can make that work. Because historically we've come back in my tenure at PRA, we've come back from spring break flat as a board, uh, not out of shape, but out of baseball shape, just not clicking and lost some games. We should absolutely win. And we play in a meat grinder of a league. So we can't afford to do that. So we're going to have some fun in Arizona and, and see if we can't uh, can't get some good practices in down there. Probably the first time we'll see grass, green grass. Yeah. Before. I, I we have, I wanna say, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. We have six games, including a game at Coors Field, scheduled before that trip. I'm not confident we'll get any of them played, but we'll hope fingers crossed.
1: Fingers crossed and fingers crossed well, that you'll get to actually see some spring training games when you're down there. As I, again,
0: I'll go back to what we talked about at the beginning. I, I think by that by the third week in March right. I'll be playing they'll be
1: playing baseball. I think so too. I, I think so too. And yeah, Boulder Collegians last year, mm-hmm. you you guys went to Alaska, didn't you?
0: We did. We went to Fairbanks and uh, played six games at the gold Panthers, who were, we walked in there with jet lag and whooped them on the first night. We're thinking we're pretty good. And we got a beat five in a row, but um, <laughs> that's just, I mean, Tony Rucco, the manager, he and I go back to our high school days together. He was my catcher in high school and um, he's a really, really, really good manager and he's done a great job of recruiting the Mile High Collegiate Baseball League run by Jason Stark uh, is a very good league, um, not up to you know, it's not Cape Cod or the Northwoods or any of those types of things, but it's a good, solid league of college players. We ran a rough shot through that league last year, went, lost twice all year in the league. And so um, we were, we were a, a very, you know, considering the short time, of fr- time frame we had to put the team together, we, it went, things went really, really well. Went to Alaska and then ended up going to the national tournament in, in Kansas and uh, didn't do real well there, but certainly whetted our appetite for better things to come.
1: Yeah, Jason Hirsch does an amazing job with that league. Mm-hmm. Did you get to play in the new Wichita Stadium?
0: No, we didn't make it. They, last year, because of COVID, they split up. We we started in Hutchinson, so we played at Hutch. And then you had to win – or I don't think you had to win your bracket, you had to advance to the final eight or something before everybody went to Wichita to play. Because They've got the brand-new facility there, and I think they were, the Padres team – the Padres are there. Uh, we're still using it during that per- first first week of the tournament. So if we make it to week two, we get to go to, go to over to Wichita.
1: Yeah, a lot of great college baseball in, in, in the Absolutely. summertime. Yeah, Absolutely. for sure. And, and Denver Browns, you know, are, are yeah. doing things to get people. I don't think realize how great of a baseball culture there well, is. The,
0: the, the Dem- Denver Browns are, are a team of, of guys. Adults, uh, done, yeah. adults. Yeah. And, um, you know, Matt does a really, Matt Reblinger does a nice job keeping that together and making that thing roll every year. And we play them to start the season. It's more or less an exhibition game, but um, they're feisty. They play hard and, and those guys really like to play. And what's cool about it is after the game last year at Scott Carpenter, I walked out to my truck and they're all sitting in the back of, a couple of different trucks, drinking beers after the game, hang out, just like the old days, right? Just like old, it's old school, right? Everybody hanging out together, having a couple of beers after the games. Uh, and I, I was a lot of fun. That's, that's a good outfit. And then, you know, the NABA league is, is solid around here. A lot of people like to play a lot of baseball and Jason's league has grown exponentially. It's going to continue to grow. There's another league here, the Rocky mountain baseball league that um, is also very, very good. Uh, we play a few cross division or cross league games with them. Uh, it's fun not to have to travel out to. When I was in college, I had to go out to Beatrice, Nebraska to play in the Jayhawk League because we didn't, all we had here was the Collegians and the Grand Junction Tigers and the Pueblo Chieftains. That was it. Arvada, so Donza
1: uh, were not around they I don't,
0: I, If they were, they weren't at that level. And I, you know, the Jayhawk League was Roger Clemens was in the Jayhawk League with me that year. And or I, I should say I was with him in the Jayhawk League back then. <laughs> but um, you had to, to get good competition, you had to go somewhere else. You don't have to do that now.
1: Yeah. They have a lot of, a lot of great baseball in Colorado. You get, you have so many irons in the fire. I do. Um, and actually I do want to mention too, Scott Carpenter park is, is Boulder I think is the website too. Mm-hmm. So once that season gets going, it's pretty much right after uh, Memorial day. Memorial day, yeah,
0: Memorial day. Yeah. yeah. Right now Boulder high is playing. It. I, I was told, I haven't been up there, but I was told they're going to laser grade the field before, before the season starts for Boulder high and the CU club team, university of Colorado club team, will be playing on it. So it gets a lot of attention. It's a historic venue. I mean, again, I, when I pitched against the Collegians when I was in college, we, I played for a, a team CSU and UNC guys put together up, up in Greeley. And we'd go down and play the Collegians and they'd beat our brains in. But Joe Carter was their cleanup hitter. Bobby Meacham was their leadoff hitter. Tony Gwynn batted, sec, batted third. And they used to have, before they built the skate park, they had a big giant tree out there in center field. And Joe Carter hit a ball so hard off Mike Trujillo, who, uh, and people who know Mike Trujillo know he's, he's recovering from COVID and he's, he's doing miraculous recovery. He looked like he was not going to make it. And he's doing well now, so we're really thankful for that. But Mike threw Joe Carter hanging slider, and Joe hit a line drive off that tree, knocked a branch onto center field. So uh, there's a lot of memories at at Scott Carpenter, and um, it's a really fun place to play summer baseball.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad it hit the tree because and, and the skate park wasn't there because mm-hmm. those kids do not like that they, they they don't take very well to batting no. practice in home. No, runs. Like, they don't they'll throw the balls back at the guys. They don't like And they'll
0: that. go turn our scoreboard off when they get a chance to Oh so. I did that's oh, a new yeah. trick. I
1: haven't seen yeah, that I, one yet.
0: Yeah, we've uh, had to send players out there with aluminum bats to stop doing that.
1: Uh yeah, so many so many things you're doing. And again this this is what i hear from the grapevine here you're you're kind of co-authored a a book with one of your your former teammates i believe right? well again, that was that was done so many things well
0: writing's obviously gonna be my first passion and that's what i do a lot of and and spend a lot of my time at but um back during the COVID lockout i was i was um approached by my well i've been approached earlier than that my teammate don august who we were teammates with the zephyrs and in milwaukee uh, don has a very unique story to tell and, and he said i'm writing. somebody's bugged me to write a book and i said okay well Send it to me, I'll see what I can do. It's 444 pages of word vomit. (laughs) And you know that, Patrick, you're a writer. A stream of consciousness, just And so I had to take this thing and and kind of single out different stories and different themes. And we, we came up with this book called Foreign Affairs, which talks about Don's travels in professional baseball after he was done playing in the big leagues. He had his big league career, minor leagues, US Olympic team in 84, big league career. Now he's done. Me, I I retired at that point, right? I was done. Don decided he wanted to play, played eight more seasons, five of them in Taiwan and one in Italy, a couple in Mexico. So Foreign Affairs was the natural title for the book, and it t- details all of Don's adventures on and off the field, including being approached by gangsters in Taiwan to throw games and being thinking he was going to be, be killed, thrown off a building because he refused. L- going through hurricanes and, t- and earthquakes and uh, you know, surviving. There was a pitcher named Marty Clary, if anybody remembers that name, pitched for the Atlanta Braves, was a teammate of Don's in Mexico. And Don was living in the apartment below Marty. Marty's infant son fell out a window and died. And Don watched him fly, fall past the window. So um, there's some of these stories are obviously that's a, a, a tearjerker kind of story, but there's some great stories in there about food and, you know, getting the, the culture, the language barriers, all those types of things, which is really, really fascinating stuff. And the good news and i don't want to jinx it but i think a publisher picked it up yesterday so uh we finished it a while back we've been waiting and waiting talking to different people but i think you know manny was telling me just self-publish it self-publish it we'll wait we, we wait a little longer i think a publisher came through yesterday so hopefully we get that thing out pretty soon and and people can read those stories because they're tremendous stories
1: so manny puts out blake street bombers larry walker gets in the mm-hmm. hall of fame when this book comes out, I mean, you better book those rooms for Cooperstown for
0: Don. Well, <laughs> Don, Don pitched in Cooperstown for the Olympic team and for in an exhibition game, so maybe he'll make a third trip back there for a book signing. But we're hoping that uh, we can get him. Actually, Manny's idea, which is a great idea, is to have Don go back to Taiwan with a film crew and go back and re- revisit some of those locations and stuff that that uh, were done. And um, we're going to see if we once the book's in the works, we're going to approach people about doing something like that. That'd be a lot that, of fun.
1: That's fun. But, yeah. Yeah. Keep us in the loop. I'm not going, all I'm that. not
0: going, I'm not going to Taiwan. I got too much going on. I'm not going to Taiwan, but Don can go. Don's coaching high school baseball and teaching in Milwaukee. So he can take some time off in the summer and go up there and uh, go back to his old stomping grounds. And uh, that would be a whole bunch of fun, fun to watch, fun to read and fun to watch.
1: What, what if someone puts the offer out there for, for your boys to go over to, to play in the summer in, in Taiwan or something? <laughs> Alaska was a, that
0: Alaska was an amazing trip, and I'd love to go back to Alaska, but I don't know that we want to do too much further than that. I, um, I mean, I, I went to, we went to Alaska. I don't know if you've been there, Patrick. Went to Alaska. No. And I didn't see darkness for a week. It was never dark. Wow. So you were there in like
1: late June then, I'm we guessing? Were there,
0: no, we were there in the third week of July. But okay. it, and it started to get dusky around two o'clock in the morning, but I'm an old guy, I'm going to bed, right? So I was never awake while it was dark for a whole week. And that was really cool. I really, I mean, I have a picture of the, the marquee at the Fairbanks airport. It says 1059, 71 degrees, but it's 1059 PM and it's sunshine. It's 1059 PM. It's 71 degrees in the sunshine. Uh, getting, pulling up to a store or McDonald's or something at, Midnight, it's sunny out and they're closed. It was
1: a really weird experience, but it was fun. And your body's telling you it's time to go to bed. And yeah, but your eyes yeah, say, Hey, I can yeah, see sunlight. It's not dark. That's wild. It, I've always thought that would be a cool one of those destination games. You know, we got the Field of oh, Dreams yeah. game, the London series. Oh, yeah. I've written if about that. I, I,
0: I wrote about that last after we got back because mm-hmm. honestly, the field at Fairbanks hasn't been renovated in 50 years. It's, it's miserable. It's a terrible a field. And they just don't have the money and the, and the manpower to make it work they'd love to. So I've, you know, our friend, Dan Evans, who put on the field of dreams game, I brought it up to Dan and we're making calls. Cause I think that would be the perfect place for major league baseball. To play. And, and wow. Augie, Don August, I told him about it. He loved the idea too. I think anybody who's been there would, would be, I mean, it would, could be just like the field of dreams game, the midnight sun game, play the midnight sun yes. game there. So it wouldn't translate for television. Have, That's the have, only they, thing. They have lights there, but they don't work. There's light poles. And you say, wait, well, they don't even, they haven't turned them on in decades. They don't work.
1: You know, you know them. why? The skateboarders unplugged it <laughs> there fun. you go there we go Don't need it no that the midnight sun
0: game would be really cool to play play it up there no darkness it that would be fun
1: that'd be fantastic mm-hmm. uh mark let me know where you can find all your stuff i know you're on twitter at mark knudson k-n-u-d-s-o-n 41.
0: yep yep I, and most of the stuff that i do almost all the stuff i do i send out on twitter the park adjusted rockies podcast which manny and i do once a week i have a, a college sports podcast called knudson and the commission with carl benson former commissioner of the western athletic conference we do that on at the end of the week i have my three strikes blog on milehighsports.com and i have my uh, my column on the, in, on 1310kfk.com and of course woodypage.com. so i got all sorts of outlets to talk about various things cuz you know baseball by itself can get a little little tedious especially right now and i don't know how you're doing this i don't know how we do this <laughs> with the park adjusted rockies podcast cuz it's just you got to scratch and find stuff to talk about don't you
1: yeah some, sometimes you have to grovel and, and ask. Yeah. And have right people like on me on to fill time because you, have
0: nobody, because you don't have any big leaguers to talk to.
1: That's it. That's right. it. No, I mean, I appreciate you giving us this time. You're probably mm-hmm. late on some kind of deadline for one of these articles that you got to put out. I'm
0: all done earlier, thankfully.
1: But... We'll, we'll attach all your articles. We'll attach a couple of your mm-hmm. articles to this podcast description. Cool. Um, and so drive a little more traffic because your writing is, is fantastic. Always have good Thanks. takes there. Uh, appreciate you coming on. Uh, you can follow all of our Rockies content at ENVR underscore Rockies on Twitter. I'm at mm-hmm. Patrick D. Lyons on Twitter and so forth, Mark Knudsen, Patrick Lyons. This has been a lot of fun. But you know what they say about momentum? It's only as good as tomorrow's podcast. So I'll talk to you then. The folks at Green Mountain Dental Group deserve to take plenty of credit for those smiling Colorado sports fans around town, especially all of our DNVR listeners who've switched to them over the years to make Green Mountain Dental Group their permanent family dentist. Now, when you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam, you're going to receive a free Sonicare toothbrush from Green Mountain Dental Group, located only 15 minutes from downtown Denver.